This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Covered in Pet Hair, a boozy web show for pet lovers on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Isabel Alvarez-Rada, and today I have the pleasure of having a drink and a chat with every dog's best friend. I'll tell you all about him and introduce you as soon as we come back from these messages from our sponsors. Moose is the German Shepherd and hasn't had any kind of health problems at all. He has been on Dynavite since he's a puppy. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. We tell anybody that has a dog, if there was something that you could do right from the beginning so that you don't have expensive veterinary bills, why would you not do it? Get the Dynavite. Dynavite for life. Get some Dynavite. How happy your dog will be. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Covered in Pet Hair. I'm your host, Isabel Alvarez-Arado. And today, I have the pleasure of having a drink with a lifelong muton, a pet parent, author, entrepreneur, influencer, daily Facebook liver, dog person, box wine drinker, whiskey lover, husband to Ariane, dog dad to Wolken and Montu, and all of the raw fed dogs in all of the land, Scott J. Marshall II. Welcome, Scott. Well, thank you for such an exuberant introduction. <laughs> well, you have absolutely earned it. I hear there's a Scott Marshall I that's celebrating a birthday today. Is that right? Yes, yes, there is. And that is my dad. In fact, our names are so identical that I have accidentally received a traffic ticket that was my dad's, actually. And I was like, I am pretty sure this is not mine because I was not here in that place on that date driving. <laughs> dad, stop getting traffic tickets and blaming it on your child. That's not cool. It was so funny. I was like, um, <clears throat> at first I didn't realize what was going on because it was like, you know, birthday 1965. I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> definitely <laughs> not me. <laughs> not me. Well, let's propose a toast to him. What, what shall we toast to? That he's actually still here because he went through something called a triple A a couple of years ago. And it has something like a, if I remember correctly, less than a 1% chance of survival when it happens. So much so that he was actually contacted by several different medical journals asking about, you know, his lifestyle growing up, his current lifestyle, because that combined with how far away from the hospital he was, which is about 40 minutes, there's like, there's no way you should be alive. Like you should be dead. And the AAA is basically where one of the main arteries that goes down into your abdomen, just out of nowhere, no signs. You could have been at the doctor that day being checked out and it just goes boof, just explodes oh. just done so he got really really lucky so cheersing to him still being here because he shouldn't be <laughs> to papa marshall here's to you and to many more birthdays and to your health cheers 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 so what are you drinking today scott is that whiskey Yep, this is Crown Royal. It is one of my favorites. Although I have to say that Crown Royal XR is really my favorite, but that's an expensive glass of whiskey. 
I, well, I appreciate you having a middle shelf liquor. You know, there's the top shelf, middle shelf, and bottom shelf liquors. I appreciate you doing a middle shelf today for the occasion. At least I may not be worthy of a top shelf liqueur, but at least I'm not bottom shelf, right? Yep. There is nothing worse. I don't know, maybe a wine hangover, but there's nothing worse than a bottom shelf whiskey hangover. It's <laughs> it's not good. It's not good. We don't want that. Speaking of hangovers, anybody who wants to participate in our drinking game, anytime you hear this word, take a drink. The secret word is nutrition. But please make sure you're also over 21, that you're not drinking and driving and you always drink responsibly. So I'm having a caipirinha in honor of raw feeding. It's made with cachaça, which is a Brazilian rum. And I love caipirinhas. They're kind of like a mojito, but without the mint leaves in it. You muddle lime and whatever else you want. We have a little bit of jalapeno in there. My husband makes these, but I kind of tell him what to do and what recipe I like. Um, there's a little bit of jalapeno in here, lots of lime, vitamin C, right? And... Uh, ice with a bit of agave nectar to give it a little bit of sweetness. I like to top it off with a splash of soda or sparkling water just to make it a little lighter. And it's as close to like a green juice as I can get with a cocktail. So cheers. Yes. Okay. So the way I start this show is to have a game for every one of my guests, which I personalize to the topic that we're discussing and to their expertise. Today, I have come up with raw, raw, wrong, so that you can tell us all the misconceptions that you've ever heard about raw feeding. You're going to have maybe a minute or two. Just tell me really quickly, back to back, all the myths, all the misconceptions, all the non-truths you've heard vis-a-vis raw feeding. Number one, you can't mix raw and fresh foods. It's totally, totally incorrect. Number two, you can't mix fresh foods and kibble because they digest at different rates. Absolutely ludicrous. Every single food that your dog has ever eaten digests at different rates. So that reasoning is totally, it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. PMR diets, ratio diets, etc., are balanced. Wrong. 80-10-10 ratio diets, barf diets can be balanced simply by rotating through enough proteins frequently enough. Wrong. Incorrect. Your dog should eat your foods frozen solid for them to avoid catching any type of, you know, choking hazard or something. Wrong. Your dog is going to catch salmonella from eating fresh foods or E. coli or something. 99.9% wrong. Dogs can't possibly get salmonella at all. Also wrong. I mean, gosh, there's so many. <laughs> Your dog can't eat pork because of trick. Wrong. Totally, totally wrong. The trichinosis problem, which is a worm bacterial issue, is a worm bacterial issue. It's a parasitic issue and has long since been dealt with through stuff like USDA regulation. So not a problem anymore. Great job. So I heard that you almost burned your house down while cooking tater tots. Is that why you are into the raw food movement? Is it because you cannot cook? No, definitely, definitely not. Although that was a fun story because that was when my wife and I were, it was right after we got together and we weren't engaged or anything yet, but we were living together. And for whatever reason it was, because we were in our young 20s, something happened with one of our jobs and we ended up having to move in with my mom and her new husband. And it was this new house that they had just gotten put together. And all of a sudden at like three o'clock in the morning, beep, 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 beep. Because I just fallen asleep on the couch watching like Futurama or Family Guy or something like that. <laughs> and so this 
now ex-husband of my mom's who didn't want us there in the first place now comes out and like the house is all but on fire and it was just like his ultimate like this is why i didn't want them moving in (laughs) it was it's a good story now but it was not fun then So your wife puts all of your deep, dark secrets on Facebook and I've read them all and I'm going to use them all against you. She puts them all on. Okay. So seriously, how did you get started in raw feeding? So luckily I do not have one of the most common stories out there, which is something terrible was happening. There's a skin issue. There's a digestion issue, hair loss issue, cancer, whatever it happens to be. So many raw feeding journeys and stories start with, you know, peril. Like I didn't have a choice. And so that's why I started because I heard that it could help. Uh, Luckily, that was not the case for me. So I grew up on food stamps and state assisted living and housing and all that kind of stuff. And so we were always living in places that was like no pets. You can have a goldfish if you want, but nothing with fur, definitely. So I always wanted a dog, but we could never have one. And so when my wife and I finally got into our own place post almost burning a house down, it was like, it's time to get a dog. And so I started doing all of the, basically what I do with everything. I can't buy anything. I can't get, you know, fancy new microphones for live streams or anything without doing research on it. And so I started looking into what's the best food bowl? What's the best leash? What's the best this, that, and the other thing. And of course you come to the question of, well, what do I feed this little guy? And Thank my lucky stars, and I make this example in pretty much every interview that I'm on, but thank my lucky stars for this one person. Her name's Vanessa, and she lives in Scotland, and she made one comment one time. It was like, have you considered raw feeding? And we talked for a couple of years after that happened, but I was like, I have no idea what that is, and I just went down the rabbit hole, and it all started from there. And so I researched that for something like eight to ten months, almost a year, something like that, before we actually fed our first raw meal, and it's just been, you know, Cornally, it's been history ever since. You have a certification. Your certification is that you are a raw dog food nutrition specialist. What does that mean and where does one get such a certification? It's actually this thing right here that's behind me, that orange and white guy right there. So it is a course that's put out by Dogs Naturally magazine. And it's a good informative course that talks about some of the simpler parts of raw feeding, some of the way not simpler parts of raw feeding, some of the agricultural impacts of raw feeding. Like it's, it's a really good course. But one thing that is a big misconception online is that it's a true certification, like a nutritionist certification, but it's really more like a certificate of completion. Now the course slash really school that I'm in now called Cassie. That is a true nutritionist certification, super expensive, takes a year to finish. So yes, I do have the raw dog food nutrition specialist certificate, but it's not a legitimate certification. So it's not something like if you wanted to start doing meal plans or something like that as a business at home, it's not what you would want to go through to start doing that. If you're a pet parent at home that wants to take it to the next level and learn more than what you can just find on YouTube videos and stuff potentially, then I think that it's a good option. Okay, so what title will you have when you finish this new certification? That will be a CERT CN, a canine nutritionist CERT CN certification. 
And is that what we want when we're looking for resources, uh, somebody to help us come up with meal plans or discuss nutrition with our about our pets? Yeah. And I mean, there are exceptions out there, you know, like I'm not going to name the company right now off the top of my head, but either number one or number two, depending on how you want to look at it, biggest raw food company in America, soon to be Canada, their head formulator has never taken a legitimate like course as what do you want to call it? structured course it's all been self-learning and he's like the smartest guy i've ever met in my entire life so just because someone doesn't have that i don't think is a reason to instantly you know throw them out the window so to speak but if that is the case i would highly highly recommend that you get a lot of references first well you have other pet pros that, that experts in raw feeding that you recommend, don't you? There's Ronnie from Perfectly Rawsome, Dr. Kozier from healthydogworkshop.com. She does a lot of the same stuff and she's a veterinarian. So there's no shortage of options out there. If something doesn't feel right to you, don't go with that route. There is someone else out there that can get it done for you. For those that aren't familiar, there are a lot of veterinarians that are not on board with raw feeding, which makes it a little bit of a controversial topic in the pet care world. Scott, do you want to talk a little bit about veterinarians and their reluctance with raw feeding? So here's my feelings on the vet situation. And I think that I've got a fair perspective on this because I know so many veterinarians with what I do for a living. I think that there's a couple of different categories of veterinarians that are apprehensive about raw feeding. There is the super old school, just stuck in their ways is never going to change anything. Even if you show them a really good study, reputable, uh, repeatable, they're just never going to change their mind because they're just set in their ways. Then there are the vets that are totally okay with it, but they have concerns because they don't think that the pet parent is going to do their due diligence and make sure that their dog's nutritional needs are being met. That for me, from my experience is the most common one. And those are the vets that I actually agree with. Like I share that concern with you, which is one of the reasons why I do what I do for a living. So I completely agree with those vets. Then there's the vets who are just, you know, all for it but they just don't have any education on it. They're like, well, I don't think that it's a bad idea necessarily, but I can't give you any advice on how to do it because I'm a medical professional, not a nutrition professional. And I think that sometimes vets get a bad rap for that because people expect their veterinarians to know everything that has to do anything with their dog. Like they want to ask their vet about training. They want to ask their vet about nutrition. And so when they get certain or no suggestions from them on those topics, they get a bad rap for it. And I just, I don't agree with that. Like on my Facebook group, if anybody tries to bash vets, it's just like, you're getting DOS boot. Like go, go, go. We don't need to contribute to the negative stuff towards veterinarians. They've got hard enough lives as it is. I absolutely love that. That is so true. You are spot on. So when somebody comes up to you and they are currently feeding their dogs kibble and they want to transition to a raw food diet, what advice do you give? It would really depend on on the dog. A lot of it would be on the dog's age. If it is an older dog, you know, like an adult dog to a senior dog, typically something like a slower transition is going to work out better. Uh, And there's a couple of different ways to do slow transitions where you can slowly introduce one ingredient at a time, like going one week is one food, second week you add on another food, third week you add on another food until you eventually get to what you would call balanced by AFCO or NRC 
feeding guidelines. The other option would be for you to slowly introduce a complete and balanced pre-made into the kibble where you slowly take away a higher percentage of the kibble and introduce more of the pre-made to take up the calories and nutrients that you're losing from the reduction of the kibble. Puppies, luckily, are significantly simpler most of the time because they don't have the same issues that adult dogs have from being fed kibble for so long. So most of them can be transitioned cold turkey, like literally kibble one day, completely balanced raw, whether it's pre-made or DIY the next day with minimal to no issues. And the reason for this is because of, there's lots of different reasons, but one of the big ones is digestive enzymes. When Dogs are fed kibble for a long time. There's three main digestive enzymes all the time, not just when they're fed kibble. You've got protease that digests proteins. You've got lipase that digests fats and amylase that digests carbohydrates. And bodies are lazy, so they don't do more than they have to do. So when dogs have these really high carbohydrate diets like kibble that are like 35 to 50% carbs and sugar, their body produces more of the amylase, the carbohydrate enzyme, and less of the protein and fat enzymes. Then we flip the script and start feeding them these diets that have like 1% maybe carbohydrates in them and the rest of it's fats and proteins. So they literally don't have the digestive enzymes that they need to digest the food. So that's why lots of adult dogs have diarrhea and that kind of stuff after the switch initially. Then the body levels things out. Puppies don't have that problem because they haven't been exposed to kibble that long and don't have that digestive enzyme mess up. And when you say puppy, what age group are you discussing exactly? Once they start reaching their maturity age, it's probably where you're going to want to start maybe into a slower transition. And that's going to be different for every breed. If we're talking about like a Scottish Terrier, it's going to be 10, 12 months old. If we're talking about a Bull Mastiff, that could be two years old before they reach their maturity. Same with something like a Great Dane. German Shepherds, like 18 months. So it really depends on how long that particular dog is in there puppy stages. If you don't consider your dog a full-grown dog yet, you may be able to get away with a immediate cold turkey transition, but I would recommend joining Facebook groups and stuff like that for recommendations on managing digestive upset if it happens. Stuff like Supreme Bark, digestive enzyme supplements, and so on. Are there dogs that don't make good candidates for raw feeding? The vast majority of people it is completely safe for. There are some medical exceptions. Like if you had a dog that has some serious autoimmune issues, I think that you would want to stay away from typical pre-made or DIY raw feeding. That being said, if that was the particular medical issue, you still have a really good shot with something like HPP raw foods, which is high pressure pasteurization, which essentially squashes both good and bad bacteria. So that may still be a safe option for that dog. I think that most people that run into issues where they come to the thought process of my dog can't handle raw foods, it's because of the le- a less than ideal approach to starting or continuing and that there were things that they could do. But some people just don't want to go that far. And I don't blame them because they see their dog having digestive issues for four or five, six days, a week, two weeks. And they're just like, I've got to stop this dog from having this diarrhea. So I can't blame them whatsoever. Especially if it's happening in the house and they're keeping you up all night and it's incessant. I totally agree. That's a really stressful thing to take on. So we're going to take a break right here and we're going to come back with Scott, what he's going to tell us more about all that he knows about raw feeding and all that he offers pet parents who want to make the transition or who want to improve upon whatever they're doing right now. 
We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. Help your dog from the inside out with Caniotic Daily Probiotic for Dogs. Caniotic's superior and exclusive technology makes it the only dog probiotic from the dog for the dog. Your dog's gastrointestinal tract is important to their well-being, and a daily dose of Caniotic is one easy way you can support it. Caniotic, C-A-N-I-O-T-I-C, is available on Chewy.com. Add it to your cart today and give it a try. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Covered in Pet Hair on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Isabel Alvarez-Arada, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with the dog dad from Raw Feeding 101, Scott J. Marshall. So I want to go back to our conversation about the nitty gritty of raw feeding by asking you, Scott, what did your dogs have for dinner last night? So my dogs last night ate an NRC balanced meal, or at least the last portion of their NRC balanced daily meals. And it had pork, chicken bones in the form of chicken drumsticks, oysters, sardines, beef heart, beef liver, or no, it was pork liver last night, a vitamin E supplement, vitamin E oil supplement, a kelp powder supplement, a flaxseed oil supplement, and ground ginger spice for manganese because we don't have any green tripe. And I don't think that I'm missing anything, but I probably am. Well, the reason I ask is I was thinking maybe you fed all those nutritious things to your dog. Meanwhile, your wife and you are having a dinner of dinosaur-shaped chicken nuggets, which I hear are a big staple at your house? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. At least for me, it is. We had surf and turf last night. So oh, my wife okay. made steaks and shrimp. So it was really good. And the funny part is, is we're going out to Red Lobster tonight. So it's probably going to be another surf and turf night. Just someone else is going to make it. Well, I feel like this is what happens with raw feeding families, uh, people who feed their pets like these amazing meals and they're all fresh and wonderful. And they have these cuts of meat that, you know, most people would only dream of having on a nightly basis. Um, well, they end up, people, the humans, the pet parents end up having like peanut butter and jelly at the counter while their dogs are like feasting like kings and queens. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about budgets and the COVID and the prices of food going up and timelines and and time commitment. Can you talk about how realistic this is uh, for the average family? I know everybody's situation is going to be different, but how does this look for an average family? I'll say it this way and we can go into more detail if you want to that it is 100% going to be more complicated than feeding kibble because kibble is just scooping it out of the bag, right? But on the other end of that coin, I, or other side of that coin, it is not nearly as complicated as people make it out to be. And that doesn't, even if you go the balancing to AFCO or NRC standards side of it, the execution as far as like meal prepping and stuff goes is no more complicated. And I think that that is something that if you're going to do DIY raw food, and even if you're doing pre-made raw foods, doing meal prep is 
for me, an absolute essential. Like Ronnie from Perfectly Rawsome does not do meal prepping and she's just as busy, if not busier than I am. And I have no idea how she does it on a daily basis because that would drive me nuts. I just want to do 20 or 30 meals all at the same time. So all I have to do is pull them out of the freezer the night before and feed portions of them the next day. (laughs) And when you say food prep, How often does that happen or is it supposed to happen? Depends on how much freezer space I've got. If I've got enough for two weeks worth of containers to go into the freezer, then two weeks is what it's going to be. If I've got three weeks worth of of room in the freezer for meal containers, then it's three weeks. So it really just depends on how much freezer space I've got, which is an interesting dynamic sometimes and only really raw feeders would appreciate the funniness of it where you want more freezer space so you can do more meal prepping. So you buy more freezers, but then you just fill them up with more food and you don't have any room for the containers afterwards. <laughs> so it's like you're trying to fix a problem, but you just make a bigger problem by buying more freezer space. It's a big time commitment. I used to feed my dogs a homemade raw diet. So it was uh, not something that we did specifically for them. We found the recipe from a nutritionist and we recreated it. But it was a lot of work. It was very time consuming. And we too had a freezer full of food or empty completely because we hadn't gotten around to food prepping. So we bought the deep freezer and yeah, it was like a double-edged sword. Sometimes it was too full. Sometimes it wasn't full at all, reminding you that you didn't meal prep. And it's a huge undertaking, but it definitely, I mean, they did amazingly well on that food. And if it wasn't for the fact that I'm a very busy mom of two very young children and my husband travels a lot and works a lot with very little uh, childcare, especially now during COVID, my dogs would still be eating raw, but they don't currently So let's dive a little bit deeper into costs. So if you had to give me an estimate, uh, let's say a medium-sized dog, about 40 pounds, how much would it cost to feed this dog um, on a monthly basis? For me, there's two really big things that come down to reducing costs, and it's going to be anywhere, depending on that dog, of what you have to feed that dog. I would say that you could get away for one month for one dog, somewhere between the 100 and 200 dollar range depending on how you went about it and the dog because some dogs are going to be just the easy dogs who don't have sensitivities to anything and so you can literally buy them anything that's available the cheapest stuff that you can find and feed it there's going to be some dogs that have like a chicken sensitivity and so you can't just go to the grocery store and buy chicken drumsticks and wings and that kind of stuff you've got to find alternative sources like duck or whatever else it happens to be so somewhere in that 100 to 200 range depending on what your dog is going to need and i think that you can drastically reduce your costs by well first there's a video on the youtube channel search raw feeding 101 16 ways to save 16 different ways to reduce your costs but two of the really big ways is one look for stuff locally buy as little or minimal things offline as you can Not because I don't like the online raw suppliers, but because whatever the cost of your food is, it's plus shipping. And how much more food would that shipping money have bought you if you could find it locally? And the second thing is to do stuff like freezer cleanouts. You know, hunters looking to make space for this year's elk or deer that they pulled a tag for. I know people that do this so efficiently that they feed multiple large dogs and literally virtually spend nothing every month because they're just so good at sourcing that way. So I like to call it the cost equation where the more 
time that you spend and the more creative that you are with your sourcing, your lower your costs are going to be. The less time that you spend and the less creative that you are with your sourcing, the more expensive that it's going to be. It's just like anything else. Convenience costs more. You know, you can drive two minutes down the street and still grab a gallon of milk from the gas station, but it's going to cost you $5 when driving all the way to the grocery store would have cost you $1.50. So you're going to pay for the convenience. Right. And your options are going to be a lot more limited because, you know, you're not going to have all the options that you would have at a grocery store. So sourcing is super important for our human food. So why would it be any different for dogs, right? So tell me, how high quality does it have to be? Does it have to be organic? Can we get away with some kind of bulk purchase at a Costco or a Sam's? Number one over everything else is that I think that we should all do the best that we can do. And the best that you can do is all that you can do. So if you can afford source, all that kind of stuff, everything organic, non-GMO, humanely raised, you know, no chickens in concrete barns, that kind of thing, then that's what I think that you should do. And with every ingredient possible, you should source the best that you can. The only thing that I would say is a just don't do this is to make sure that it was intended for human consumption, because then there was some kind of quality and health control with these animals. And number two, to not use suppliers and pre-made makers that utilize 3D and 4D meats, which is basically animals that are downed, dead, diseased in some way, and that's where they source them from. Like a cow out in the field just like lays down one day and dies and they don't know why. And that goes into this particular company's food. So those ones I would really stay away from because you just have no idea what made that happen. Like, why did they just out of nowhere for no reason whatsoever just fall down dead on the prairie that day? Like, what was it? Was it a disease that could be passed on to your dog? Was it just they were super old and it was just their time? You just, it's too big of a question mark to risk it. Understood. So- Commercial raw food for dogs, yay or nay? Yay, but. (laughs) Um, Always a but. You want to, yes, absolutely, 100 billion percent, but you want to do some investigating. One, you want to make sure that you're checking sourcing to make sure that it's not these 3D, 4D meats. Number two, you want to know what you're getting. So if you are looking for a complete and balanced meats or exceeds AFCO standards, suitable for all life stages, literally like one and done, I don't have to feed anything else. You want to make sure that that's what it is because, and I won't say their names because that's not what I'm out here to do, but there are companies who will use the verbiage that people like me teach their audiences to look for, to make sure that it's a one and done. They will utilize up to the point of just before it would be breaking the law to make it look like their foods are that to where they are complete and they are balanced and they're suitable for all life stages. And then in teeny tiny little print on the website underneath it, it'll say balanced to 80, 10, 10 or barf standards, which isn't really balanced to nutrients, database, science, whatever you want to call it. It's not really balanced food, but the really, really try to make sure that you think that it is. And then the only person really paying for it is your dog. So you want to do your research, ask around. There are so many, so many Facebook groups where you can get feedback on. If you don't like the people that are out there doing videos like me or whoever else, there's literally tens of thousands of pet owners in these groups that can give you feedback. So just make sure that what you're feeding is what it says that it is. Because if you think that it's complete and balanced and that you don't have to add anything to it, 
but it really isn't, your dog's missing right. something every single day. And eventually that leads to a problem. Well, if somebody cannot commit after hearing all this, they know they cannot commit to a either a DIY raw food or a commercial raw food because of budgeting or time constraints. You mentioned that you may be able to mix raw food into kibble and do a little bit of both. And that's great news because I had never heard of that. Can you talk about that? Yeah, 100% absolutely can. And the thing that I said after that during our little game was that the biggest reason people say that you can't mix the two of them is because they digest at different rates. And so it's going to cause digestive problems for your dogs. I've heard that. Coming from a, I almost hate to use this word because it sounds so douchey, but from a scientific <laughs> standpoint. You're allowed to say that word on this show. You're good. All right. It sounds douchey. Like, <laughs> let me fix my glasses with my nerdiness or something. But from a scientific standpoint, it makes no sense whatsoever. Because literally every single thing that your dog eats digests at a different rate. Your freeze-dried liver treats are going to digest at a different rate than your dog's chunks of pork meat, whatever it happens to be. So it's just a totally invalid totally ridiculous, long since disproven point of view. So in regards to the question about what can they do if they can't fully commit, you can mix in so many different ways. You can go 50-50, you can add stuff right on top of the kibble like eggs and kefirs and so many different toppers. You can add processed veggies because pro tip, you do not just want to feed raw veggies. They don't have the enzymes to break down whole veggies, gotta liquefy them first. There's so many options. In fact, there is an article on perfectlyrawsome.com, Ronnie's website. She's one of my good friends. She's squad life, if you will. But she has a really good article on mixing kibble and fresh foods, like dry foods and fresh foods. So I'd really recommend going and checking that out if you can't for whatever reason it is, cost, time, whatever, go and check out that article. And any amount of fresh food is better than no fresh food. And I'll make sure to link that. I'll provide that link as a resource for pet parents. And, and speaking of resources, you are an amazing resource. You offer so much. You have uh, YouTube videos uh, explaining raw feeding and all the details that you go into. You have a free Facebook group where people share ideas and troubleshoot issues. You have a ton of guidance. You give a ton of guidance for free. All of this is for free. And then you also have one-on-one -on -one consultations. You do meal plans and you have a boot camp for people who really want to dig deep into what their pets need. Tell us all about it. That is Montu. That is Montu. I don't know I what's going you. on out there. I think someone's moving their truck or something like that. And you'll actually always know whether it's Montu or Wolken because Wolken can't bark. If you can hear him, I'll, I'll be quiet and see if you can hear him. I did hear that. Why can't he bark? So we adopted him when he was about 10 months old. And his original owners had him debarked, which is essentially snipping their vocal cords, the tissues around their vocal cords. So to me, that's kind of like, and I don't know how controversial this is with the listeners, but to me, that's like declawing cats. Like if you couldn't handle a cat with claws or a dog that barks, you shouldn't own either. In my personal opinion, every dog and cat deserves a home, but not every home deserves a dog or a cat. 100%. That's not controversial at all. I 100% agree with your sentiment. Uh, poor guy had to go undergo a painful and needless surgery 
and that is just terrible. Yeah, I'm sure it wasn't very fun. But he's with us now, huh, Mr. Beacon? And he's 10 years old now, so I don't even think he remembers what it is like to bark anymore. But people will hear that, and they'll think there's this little, like, pug around the corner or something, and then this, like, 80-pound German Shepherd comes around the corner, and it's like, (laughs) oh, never mind. This is not what I thought it was. Go ahead and tell us how our listeners and viewers can find you and learn more about all that you do. The best place to go is just to the website, rawfeeding101.com, because it links to literally everything else. All the free resources are there other than the Facebook group and the YouTube channel, which are linked there on the very first homepage. It's just down at the bottom. Click the Facebook group link or the YouTube link, and you can get to both of those. All the services are on there. Live chat is on there. So literally everything and every way to contact me is on that one website, rawfeeding101.com. Perfect. Fantastic. You also have some rules for your Facebook group. No criticizing for the sake of criticizing. Everybody needs to be positive. It's a great group. I'm part of it. Tell us about the group and who would benefit from joining. It's mainly for people that are raw feeding or interested in learning about raw feeding. Only because if, in my experience over the years, if you start going And we allow like conversations about mixing and stuff too. But, you know, if someone asks for cooked diets or something like that, we say, we recommend that you go into like a cooked diet Facebook group because we don't know anything about it here. So we can't give you good advice. And that's really what the, you know, siloing of the topic is for is we can't give you good advice for it. So we don't want to discuss it here. It's like, we don't allow people to ask about medical issues because we can't provide medical advice. We can't help you with training. We can't help you with cooked diets. We want to focus on the thing that we can really help you with. Yeah. We try to focus really, really hardcore on making it a positive environment and a non-critical environment because so many of the Facebook groups for raw feeding on Facebook have terrible reputations because they're so, dare I say, vicious, especially with new people. So we try to encourage positive, positive conversations, no judging, no criticizing. It's like our, we have several other small rules, but that's like our big one shining rule is don't comment just to criticize someone. So if you do, you're either going to get muted or blocked altogether, depending on what it was that you did, because no one's here to hear your negative opinion. We're here to learn about fresh foods, which can be difficult sometimes when you've got, you know, like right now, I think we're sitting at 46 and a half thousand people. So it can become difficult, but that's why you build a really good moderator team that can help you out with that. Cause you know, you can't watch something 24 hours a day. So yeah, the Facebook group is probably out of all the stuff that I do, I would say that the Facebook group is probably personally my best accomplishment just because it impacts the most people directly. You can get on and talk to people. You don't just have to listen to me or this other person on YouTube, that person on YouTube, this person on Facebook. You can literally talk to tens of thousands of other people that are sitting at home just like you. And I know that a lot of the groups on Facebook have can have really high numbers, but very low people that are actually active in them. And I actually check that stuff regularly. So out of 46,000 people, 40,000 of them are regularly active every month. So someone has an answer to a question that you've got. I promise. Thank you, Scott, for sharing all of your knowledge and expertise with us. I know I've learned a ton and I am so happy to have you on the show. Just want to propose a toast to you for everything that you give 
to all of your followers and clients, I'm sure that there's plenty more than we don't even didn't even have a chance to talk about that you've done for families and their pets. So cheers to you. Cheers to our executive producer, Mark Winter, for making this show possible. And to you, our listeners and viewers, thank you for spending your time with me. Here's to a life covered in pet hair because there's no better way to live. Cheers. If you want to learn more about Covered in Pet Hair, please visit CoveredInPetHair.com or PetLifeRadio.com. We'll see you next time. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.